0: A people once on the outside, now invited in, presenting gifts to God and washing clean as best they could. But the old plan was only a hint of the good things in the new plan. These reminders of sin could never remove it. Only a perfect sacrifice by a perfect person to perfect some very imperfect people could wash away the last smudge of sin once and for all. The curtain drawn
1: back so we could draw near, stepping into what was once off limits, our words wafting heavenward and a place setting at the table for us, the unlikely guest, enjoying the company of our host as his light makes the darkness disappear, the unknown seen, the confusion clear, the empty overflow.
0: Well, happy weekend, everybody. Grateful to have you with us. Those of you who are joining us online, grateful to have you as well this Memorial Day weekend. We're in the midst of a series called Encounter, and it's about how you and I can personally encounter and experience the presence of God in our own lives. I want to begin this morning by sharing with you an observation that I have made, and maybe you've noticed the same thing too. It's that there are different ways to behave in different environments, that there are just certain things that you do, and there are certain things that you don't do when you're standing in line at airport security. (laughs) And there are certain things that you say, and there are certain things you don't say when you're in your boss's office at work. And there's like a whole process for how to ride the bus. Have you noticed this? There's certain times to stand and certain times to sit, and if you try to get on or off the bus at the wrong time, everybody else on the bus will let you know you did it wrong. And then they secretly judge you, because we're from Minnesota and nobody will confront you, but as soon as you get off the bus, they all talk about you, right? (laughs) And so we either are taught or we learn through experience that there are certain ways to behave in certain environments. So is there a way that we're supposed to behave when we come into the presence of God? Are there certain things that we're supposed to say or not say? Are there certain things that we should do or not do, rituals that we should perform or not perform? Are there certain songs that we should sing or not sing in order for us to be able to personally encounter and experience the presence of God? When you find yourself there, how are we to respond to God? And to help us answer those questions, we're taking a look at a place called the Tabernacle. It's found throughout Scripture. In particular, it's found in the book of Exodus and in the book of Leviticus. And as my nine-year-old son pointed out to me last night after service, Dad, you forgot to mention, it's also instructed in the book of Numbers. So thank you to my nine-year-old son for correcting me on the message last night. If you ever wonder if our... Children's ministry is making a success. There, there you go. It's uh, it's making a difference in the lives of our kids. Uh, but we're going to take a look at uh, the tabernacle. But here at Wooddale, we don't want just to talk with you about the tabernacle. We also want us to be able to experience it. And just a few moments ago, you heard Dave give some instructions about the tabernacle experience coming here to Wooddale. And in your service handout, there's an invitation for you to give to somebody, uh, to invite them to join us for the tabernacle experience. I had a woman uh, earlier this week tell me that she's invited 50 people from her neighborhood to join them for the tabernacle, join her for the tabernacle experience. So uh, hopefully you're going to be inviting some people this week to join us for that. It's going to be a great experience. The reason we're doing that is we believe the tabernacle gives us a great teaching about how each of us can personally encounter and experience the presence of God. So let's take a look at that tabernacle. Last weekend, Pastor Dale introduced us to the idea of the tabernacle, and he showed us this illustration, which kind of walks us through an overview of the tabernacle. Now he spent some time speaking about the gate and the brazen altar and the labor, the wash basin, and if you missed that that message last weekend, I want to encourage you to go back online and, and catch up. A great message talking about the significance of those elements. Today, we're going to focus on the tent of meeting, and in particular, on a certain room in the tent of meeting. It was a place called the Holy Place. And just the name itself kind of speaks of the reverence of that environment. Now, the Holy Place was a place of restricted access. Not, not just anybody could go in, you had to be a priest in order to gain access to the Holy Place. And that really taught the people, and it teaches us that we can't just approach God however and whenever we want. That there are certain ways in which we need to approach God. And in the days of the tabernacle, that was through the priesthood. But for us today, it's different. The way in which we approach God is actually a way that God makes possible for us. That really he's the one that extends an invitation to us to come and experience and encounter him. And today that invitation has been given to us through his son Jesus. That it's only through a relationship with Jesus that we can even go in and and encounter and experience God. And so what we're going to be talking about for the rest of the message today is going to be what you now have access to if you've placed your faith and your trust in Jesus. And that should cause us to respond to God in a certain way. But if this morning you're hearing this message or you're watching us online or hearing a recording of this and you don't yet have a relationship with God, you have not put your faith and your trust in Jesus, then what you're going to be hearing today is what you could have access to if and when you put your faith and your trust in Christ because it is only through a relationship with Jesus that we can come in and encounter and experience the presence of God. And because of our relationship with Jesus, in that way, we have become like priests. In fact, that's what the Apostle Peter teaches us. And he writes this in his letter, 1 Peter 2.9. He says this. He says, but you are not like that, meaning like the rest of the world. He says, for you are a chosen people, a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. So if you have a relationship with Jesus, you're a priest. And so as a priest, we're gonna take a journey today into the holy place of God. Now as we walk into the holy place, we're going to encounter three different pieces of furniture. And as we come to each of those pieces of furniture, we're gonna take a few moments to talk about the meaning of each of those pieces, to talk about the significance of it and what the priest would have experienced and encounter when they went into that holy place. And then we'll talk about some application to our own personal lives, about what that means for how each of us individually can encounter and experience the presence of God. And then we're going to do something a little unique. And for those of you who are joining us online, I hope you'll join us with this as well. We're going to give you some time right here in this service for you to encounter God to have a personal experience with him. I'm not going to ask you to move around the room or to do anything that would draw attention to yourself, but in the privacy of your own seat, you'll be given some time and some space to put right into practice what the tabernacle is teaching us about how to experience the presence of God. And I believe that if you commit to this, this will be a very meaningful time for you to engage and experience God in his presence. And so... As priests, let's enter into the holy place. As we begin our journey across that courtyard to the tent of meeting and we come up to that tent, the first thing we would have noticed as we reach our hand up to draw the curtain back to enter in is the fabric, the the curtain on the outside, how it is woven together. There are brilliant colors in that fabric. One of them is a blue. It's a thread that runs throughout, and it reminds us, looking at that blue, that we are about ready to enter into the place of the creator God, the one who separated sea and sky. And also running through is a purple thread, and it reminds us of the royalty of God, that we are entering into the place of the king of the kings and the lord of lords, a place where all authority in heaven and earth rests in him. And then there's a scarlet thread that runs through that curtain. And that reminds us that because of our sin, something had to give its blood, a sacrifice had to be made for us even to be able to enter into this place. And for the priest, that that would have been about the brazen altar just a few feet behind us where a sin sacrifice was made. But for you and for me, it reminds us of the blood of Jesus that was shed so we can enter into the presence of God. And those colors remind us of the gravity of the place that we are about ready to enter. And so we reach up our hand and we draw back that curtain and we step forward into the holy place. And there, the furthest from us, against the curtain that separates the holy place from the holy of holy place, is an altar. It's called the altar of incense and it looked something like this. The altar of incense we have here this morning looks a little different. but. It's an altar that the priest would go to two times every single day. and The priest would go in and offer this incense to God. Now, throughout Scripture, incense is closely related to the idea of prayer, that as people would give their prayers to God, it was like incense rising up to meet God as a form of an offering. In fact, David writes this in Psalm 141, verses 1 and 2. He says, "'O oh Lord, I am calling out to you, please hurry.'" Listen when I cry to you for help. Accept my prayers as incense offered to you and my upraised hands as an evening offer. Now often when the priests would go in and they would offer that incense, the people who weren't priests and weren't allowed access to the holy place would still gather outside and they would offer up prayers as those, that incense was going up to the heavens. Now part of understanding the, the ritual behind that comes to the way that they were thinking. They understood that in the tabernacle and then later in the temple that this was a unique place. It was a place where earth and heaven intersected. And there was an overlap in that place where those two realms came together. New Testament theologian and scholar N.T. Wright says that's what happens in prayer. That in prayer, heaven and earth overlap in a unique way. And when we pray We're kind of entering into that in-between space. And when you think about prayer that way, it should cause us to want to pray more often, but it also should cause us to be more intentional about our prayer life. See, how this worked is as the incense was being lit, and I'll light it here, although it's a little different how I'm lighting it than they would have, but as that incense is being lit, and it starts to smoke it begins smoking here on earth and then ascends up into heaven and let's see if we can get a little more incense going here and it's almost as if that incense is coming from earth up into heaven into the very presence of God there we go in fact as that incense would have gone up out and dissipate into the space and crossed over into that heavenly realm, we get a picture of what that looks like in the book of Revelation. Revelation 5, 8 tells us this. It says, and when he, meaning Jesus, took the scroll, the four living beings and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. That's Jesus. Each held in, had one harp, and they held gold bowls filled with incense. And then John tells us, he gives us a little little insight. He says, which are the prayers of God's people? So in heaven, our prayers are being presented to God as an offering of incense. That's a powerful image. It should cause us to be thoughtful about what it is we're praying. Now, this doesn't mean that God doesn't accept our quick prayers, those times when we're in desperate need and we just cry out to him. In fact, Scripture tells us that we should pray continually. But the tabernacle teaches us that That if our prayer life is only based on those moments when we feel like we're in need and we cry out to God, that we are missing something in our prayer life. Because the priest would go in two times every day, very intentionally, to offer this incense to God. And we too need to go intentionally before God and offer him prayers. And so the the tabernacle is teaching us this, and, and maybe you want to write this down, that we encounter God when we intentionally and when we honestly talk with God. That's what prayer is really about. But it needs to be done with a level of intentionality and with honesty. And just for me personally, I have found that practically speaking, I can be much more intentional in my prayer life when I begin with Scripture. See, when, when I begin with, with just what's on my mind or what's on my heart, it's kind of just about me. But when I start with God's Word, which is God's revelation about himself to us that I can be more intentional and more thoughtful about what it is I am praying or what it is I am offering back to God in worship of him. And the tabernacle also teaches us that not just any prayer will work. See, for the priest, there was a special type of incense that had to be burned, uh, burned. It was a special blend of frankincense and other spices, and God would accept no other type of incense on that altar. And if a priest were to try to offer the wrong type of incense, it was offensive to God. And those priests would be punished, sometimes even by death. Because that's how seriously God took people being in his presence. And that reminds us that when we come before God, we too need to be coming before him with sincere and clean hearts. In fact, Proverbs 15.8 tells us that The Lord detests the sacrifice of the wicked. See, for God, it's never about ritual. But he delights in the prayers of the upright. So how can our prayers be one of upright? Well, how the incense was lit gives us some indication and some clues. See, the priests didn't have fancy lighters like this to come in and light their incense. And so what they would do is they would carry into the holy place a burning coal taken from that brazen altar Dale spoke about last weekend. And that was the altar where a sacrifice was made for sin. And it was a reminder to the priest that the only way they were even able to offer God prayers and this incense was because their sin was dealt with and was covered over. And that's true for you and for me because of what Jesus has done for us, but that also should remind us that we need to be very honest when we come before God in his holy place. And that part of our prayers should involve confessing our sins to him. In fact, Psalm 66, 18 tells us this, if I had not confessed the sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. So in order for us to be able to offer prayers that God will hear and accept, we must come clean with him and confess the sin that stands between him and us. And so right here in the quietness of this space, we want to give you an opportunity to do just that, to intentionally and to honestly come before God Most High and to offer him prayers and to begin with confessing our sin. For some of you, you you may know right now the sin that you need to confess that's between you and God. And for others of you, maybe you don't. And if that's true, I want to ask you to pray a bold prayer. To ask the Holy Spirit to bring to your mind what stands between you and Him. And when He brings it to mind, would you confess it honestly and intentionally so that we can come before God as people with a pure and a clean heart. So in the quietness of this space, silently I want to ask you, in the privacy of your own pew, to take about two minutes and to offer to God these prayers of confession. And as you do, a little bit of music is going to be played, and a few scripture references will be up on the screen if you want to respond to God based on his word. But take this time and pray to God now. One of the most amazing promises in scripture is found in 1 John 1, 9. I wanna share that verse with you. It's one where God says that if we are faithful to confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. And if you have just taken this time of confession, I want you to know that you've been cleaned. God now sees you as white as snow, And that should be cause for an overwhelming sense of gratitude in our hearts. So would you take just another moment, and would you just give God praise of thanksgiving, of just saying thank you to him for the graciousness and the mercy and the forgiveness that God has given to you, that he sees you because of Jesus as if you have never sinned. Would you just give him thanks right now in this moment? And it's with hearts of gratitude, having been forgiven, that we now come to the second piece of furniture that is there in the holy place. And it's a table. It's called the table of showbread. And on this table, there were 12 loaves of bread that were always set out, six in one pile and six in another. Those 12 loaves of bread were symbolic. They represented the 12 tribes of Israel. Those were God's chosen people. Now, in the culture of that day, and still to this day in the Middle Eastern culture, if someone invites you to a shared meal with them, it is a significant and a high honor. It's them letting you know that they value you, and they value the relationship with you, and they want to live in community with you. It's a big deal if somebody invites you to share a meal with them. And so having these 12 loaves of bread always being available and setting out on this table was God's ever-present invitation to His people to live in community with Him and to share at His table in fellowship with Him. Now, these 12 loaves of bread were replaced once every week. The priests would come in on a certain day and change out the bread, and the day they would come in to do that was the day of Sabbath. Now, Sabbath is an important day in Scripture. We're first introduced to the concept of Sabbath. Actually, in The account of creation. Scripture tells us that God created the heavens and the earth in six days, but on the seventh day he rested. Now that doesn't mean that God needed a day off, or that he had to recharge his batteries, or he was just so overwhelmed with creation that he needed some space. Instead, the idea of rest, and in particular of Sabbath rest in the Bible, is the idea of harmony, of being at peace. It describes a restful relationship. See, God was at rest with his creation. He was living in harmony with it, with us and with all of nature that he had created because he described it as good. It was very good. But it was in the midst of that rest that we violated that Sabbath. When we, his creation, stepped out of relationship with him, we essentially told God, we think we can run the world better than you can. In fact, God, we'd like to be in charge of our own world. We'd like to become our own gods in a sense. And when we stepped out of relationship with God, we inserted into God's creation a form of restlessness that still exists in this world today. And so when God would have the priest come in on the Sabbath and replace the bread, it was such a powerful image that God was saying, I am asking my people to come back and to have fellowship with me in that Sabbath rest. And so the tabernacle teaches us that one of the ways that we can best encounter and experience God is to enjoy our relationship with him. And that's the second thing that the tabernacle is teaching us here this weekend is That we need to be able to enjoy our relationship with God. That brings up a question. Are are you enjoying your relationship with God right now? You know, so often we can fall into thinking of our relationship with God like a, a form of rituals. Or just policies and procedures and things that we're supposed to do or not do to try to keep God sort of kind of happy with us. And that's not at all the type of relationship he desires. Just one practical way I've been trying to live this out in my own life is I've changed up where I read my Bible. Now The Bible is God's account of his relationship with all of humanity, and in particular, it's a true account of the relationship throughout history, but it's also of God's invitation to be in relationship with him. And so as we read the Bible, we're reading about this relationship that he desires to be part of, and I have started reading that Bible at my dining room table. And the reason is because that's the table that when we have our family over, we gather around that table. When we invite friends over, people that we want to share life with and get to know and be in community with them, we invite them around that table. That's the table that's filled with laughter. It's filled with sharing stories. It's filled with getting heart to heart with individuals. It's a table of great community and fellowship. And I sit at that table because it reminds me in a powerful way that God has invited me to his table. And in the same way, we invite people over to be in relationship so he wants to be in relationship with me. And it's warmed my heart to the relationship that God wants to have with me. So if you're just not enjoying that relationship, I want to encourage you, find a new place to read your Bible. Maybe one that speaks about the relationship that God wants to have with you. And it's a relationship that is only possible because of Jesus. And it was Jesus who went to a table. But at the table that Jesus invited, there weren't 12 loaves of bread, but there were 12 disciples. And those 12 disciples gathered around that table, and Jesus explained to them that because of what he was about to do, giving his body, which was represented by the bread, and that he was about to shed his blood, which is represented by the cup, that now they were able to enter into a new relationship with God. One of permanence and one of closer walk. The priest in the tabernacle, when they would go to replace the bread of the presence on the day of the Sabbath, they would take the bread and they would eat it. It was a great honor for those priests to be able to consume that bread. And I wonder as those priests would have eaten that bread, if they would have thought about how, in kind of a special way, the presence of God was, was getting ever closer to them. But it wouldn't last because next week they would be back here again. But the table that Jesus invites us to when we celebrate communion reminds us that the presence of God has indeed come close. And it has, just like that bread that we're about to consume, it has come inside of us. And because of the relationship with Jesus, God's Spirit dwells within us that it now tabernacles inside of us. This is the invitation that Jesus has given to be at God's table, and for him to come within us. And so when we celebrate communion, this is a time for us to enjoy and to give thanks for the relationship that we now have with God through Jesus. And so in just a moment, I'm gonna have our our servers pass out the communion elements. As they distribute them, I wanna encourage you, take both of those cups and separate those two cups, but then I want you to hold on to those cups. And as you hold on to those cups, and you look at that bread, and you reflect on that juice, to remind yourself that because of what Jesus has done, God's Spirit is now dwelling within you, if you have accepted it. And that should be cause for celebration, and give Him that celebration in this moment. And then hold on to those elements, I'll come back up, and all of us will take together, as we together celebrate, holy communion. As our servers prepare themselves to distribute those elements, I want to remind you here at Wooddale, you do not need to be a member of our church to join us for communion. You just need to be a member of God's table and have accepted the invitation that Jesus has given. So will the servers now come and will we now prepare our hearts to commune with the living God? Christ was betrayed, he was having dinner with those disciples, and he took bread and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took the cup and said, this cup represents the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink of it, in memory of me. And this meal, whenever we eat of it, When we drink of it, it proclaims Christ's death until his coming, in which case he'll invite us to another more permanent meal that we'll be able to share with God. And now our attention comes to the third and the final piece of furniture in that holy place. It was a lampstand, and the lampstand in the holy place was impressive. It was made of 75 to 125 pounds of pure gold. The one I have here is not quite as impressive, but it follows the same format. Now, this was also functional. It was the only light that was given off in the holy place. And the priests, when they would go in to light the altar of incense, they would come in and they would trim the lamps to make sure that they were staying lit because they were required to have this lampstand lit all throughout the night. And so that was part of the priestly duties, was to make sure that in the midst of the darkness of the night, that the light of God was always burning bright. What a powerful image and a powerful reminder for them of God's presence. Have you ever woken up in the middle of the night in a dark room and tried to find your way? If so, you know the disorienting effects of darkness. I am very familiar with my bedroom. I'm there every single day. And I could map out for you all the pieces of furniture in that room. And I could even tell you where the socks are that I've folded and haven't yet put away. But I wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning, and it's not a light on in the house. And it is like I have never been in that room in my life. I'm stumbling and tripping over things. And I'm convinced that every step I take, I'm about ready to put my face into a wall And inevitably, Stephanie will hear me rummaging around and she'll turn a light on. And whenever that light comes on, I'm always surprised at how much further away I am from where I thought I would be. Because that's what darkness does. It disorients us, it confuses us, and it causes us to be unsure. But when the light comes in, it provides clarity to once what was hidden. And it provides comfort And to a place that was once cold and empty, there's now warmth and a presence. It's the beauty of light. And I wonder as those priests would go into the holy place, and they would tend to those lamps throughout the night, if they would have longed for the day when the light of God would be shine throughout all of the world, not just in this room. Because that was part of what God was preparing in fact, Isaiah gives us the promise about the light that is to come in Isaiah 9-2. He says, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. And that light was none other than Jesus himself. And Jesus affirms that in John eight twelve when he says that I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. But when God's light came into the world, The Gospel of John tells us that the people preferred the darkness because their deeds were evil. And that's the consequence of coming into the light, is that it reveals what was once hidden. But God doesn't bring his light to us to reveal things to condemn us or to embarrass us. God brings his light to us to point things out so that we can become more like him, so that we can come more fully into his presence and experience and encounter him. Often on Saturday mornings, our kids will run into our dark bedroom and they will turn on all of the lights. And I think they do that because they love the reaction they get from my wife and, and me. We, we, we jump up and say, turn the light off, it's so bright. But they never do. And instead, they allow our eyes to quickly adjust, and they crawl up in between us in bed. And there we enjoy each other's company in the light of the day. Folks, that's the image that God wants for you and for me. And so what the third and final thing that the tabernacle teaches us is that we encounter God when we allow the revealing nature of his light to change us. When we let it point out to us areas that we need to give over to him, And let us become more like him. Because here's the thing about the light that God gives. He wants it to reveal things to us, to change us, to become more like him, to burn like he burns, to be illuminated by Christ. Not just for our own good so that we can enjoy this privately in our own room or closet, but instead to take the light of God out into the world and out into the dark places that we live so that the rest of the world can see and know the light that God gives. That is his plan, and that is his purpose, and that is why he wants us to be changed by the light. So are you being changed by the light of Jesus? Are you allowing him to make you more like he is, so that you can burn with the light of God? Because here's the promise that no matter how deep the darkness, God's light will burn brighter still. And the promise is that in the midst of our heartache and our shame, God's light burns ever brighter so our eyes can be opened, we can see the truth of who he is, and we can catch like a fire to allow other people to know and to experience the love and the hope and the joy that comes from a relationship with God. And folks, when we come into God's presence, just like those priests would have been in the holy place, it should cause us to want to worship God. And so I'm going to ask Jeff and the team to to, to lead us in an opportunity to respond in song. Because often throughout Scripture, that's what people do when they had an encounter with God. And this is our time To worship God, and for you, that that might mean just in this space, you might just be so overwhelmed. You might just want to drop down to your knees in humility and thank God for who he is. For others of you, it may just be reflecting on the words of this song, and for others, it might mean standing to your feet and reaching your hands to the heaven and proclaiming the truth of what you believe about God because he has given us a light, and that light changes us. And so let's give him worship for that. Father God, as we come into your presence now, Lord, we do so with deep humility, understanding the gravity of the place that we've been. And Father, I pray that we, your people, would worship you in response. Church, God has never failed us. The great news is that when we come into his presence, he sends us out to go bring that truth to others. So we're gonna do something a little unique, but let's be honest, this whole morning has been a little unique. Uh, And so here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna have our ushers stand at the exits because after communion, we take a compassion offering that goes to meet the needs of those in and around our community. But I'm gonna have them stand at those doors uh, to receive that offering, not to draw attention to you. So nobody's gonna care if you give or, or you don't give. Uh, but here's why we're doing it. Because there's something very tangible about the fact that we are going, that God is sending us out from this place into the world as lights to draw attention to Jesus, not to ourselves. And so in a very tangible way, as you leave, what a great way to be putting some of your resources uh, on display and, and, and giving to, to that, so you can let other people know about the hope of Jesus. And so it's a very spiritual opportunity to lay that to those ushers as you are leaving. As you go from this place, I want you to know that you are the light of the world. Go and be that light. Come back next weekend as we go further into the tent of meeting. God bless you as you go.